Well, we're going to go faster than originally um, anticipated because he said we're ending in April. And, um, oh, so right. That's hold, right. your, hold on, everybody. We're going to really be moving. Yeah. He, actually, he meant 2023. Um, actually, somebody printed out um, the, the scriptures that are down that are listed at the bottom of each paragraph. So I have one set of the scriptures for chapter one. If somebody needs them, um, they're here. Um, if not, I will set them down here. But um, I have been asked, obviously, Philip, you can't say everything about everything. We'll never get through it. He's given me a limited amount of time. So just so you know, this is all the notes I have. Just some highlights and some lines. That way that we can move relatively quickly. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. 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 But um, hopefully y'all read the intro and, and everything in your book. Uh, and that way you have at least um, some kind of understanding on why we're, why confessions are important, right? And in particular, um, this particular confession, if, we, if you paid attention and you read, and what you understand is we're not putting anything over Scripture. What we're doing is we're expounding. We're, just, we're laying out in a systematic way what the Scripture says. We're trying to give us um, guidelines to keep us on Scripture. And not drifting. Um, it, you know, it, you don't have to go very far today. Go on YouTube. Go on television. Go whatever. And listen to the preachers that are out there. And you'll know that there's not anything keeping them from going adrift. Right? Nothing's keeping them on, on the line. You know, they go above it. They go below it. What we're trying to do is say, no. Scripture is, is all in all. It's authoritative, it's sufficient, it's authentic, and, and, and that's what this, hopefully this uh, confession will, will help us um, gather, will give us a fence, right, with, in which we can understand uh, and, and, uh, and work the Scripture. So, let's begin with the first one, we'll read the paragraph, and we'll break it down, make a few statements. And what I'm going to do, because I have to move so fast, is I'm going to try to give you a, a word or two, something that will give you... Um, Ultimately, what's being communicated in each paragraph. Like paragraph one, if it means anything to you, paragraph one is about the necessity or the indispensability of the Holy Scriptures. That's really what's going to be communicated in this first paragraph. But let's read it together and we'll make a couple of comments. Now, I have the old version. I don't have it modern English, so um, if hopefully you can keep up. It's really, really similar. The Holy Scripture is the only sufficient, certain, and infallible rule of all saving knowledge, faith, and obedience. Although the light of nature and the works of creation and providence do so far manifest the goodness, wisdom, and power of God as to leave men inexcusable, yet they are not sufficient to give that knowledge of God. And his will, which is necessary unto salvation. Therefore, it pleased the Lord at sundry times and diverse manners to reveal himself and to declare that his declare that his will unto his church, and afterward for the better preserving and propagating of the truth, and for the more sure establishment and comfort of the church against the corruption of the flesh and the malice of Satan and the world, to commit the same wholly unto writing which make it the Holy Scriptures to be most necessary. There's the key, right? 
those former ways of God revealing His will unto His people now being ceased. Now, we're not going to go through, unless we need to, we're not going to go through all of the Scripture texts that make these points. I'm, I'm, y'all are good students and y'all are smart people, so we're entrusting to you to actually go home. If there's questions about one of these statements that's being made, open up the Scriptures. Read it for yourself, right? Remember that we're supposed to equip you to do the work, right? And it's incumbent upon you to be Bereans. If you think that um, this is misrepresenting something in some way, open up the Scriptures and see if it's so. But we do want to talk a little bit about each one of these paragraphs so that you can see what's being communicated. Look what it says in the first um, in the first sentence. The Holy Scripture is the only, only, look what it says. It's the only sufficient, it is the only certain, and it is the only infallible rule. And then it tells us what what it actually accomplishes for us, right? What, what it's uh, infallible in, in, in which category? Saving knowledge, what we should know, faith and obedience, right? So it is the only certain, sufficient, and infallible rule of what we should know, what we should believe, and what we should do, right? Saving knowledge, faith, and obedience. What we should know, what we should believe, and what we should do is wholly contained in the Scriptures, it's the only infallible, sufficient, and certain rule. Look what it says. Continue on. Although, it's not the only place that we see God manifesting Himself. Right? Where else do we see it? Look what it says. The light of nature and the works of creation and providence do so far manifest the goodness, wisdom, and power of God as to leave men excusable. Yet, yet, which means that the, the, the light of nature, creation, and so forth, right? We Romans 1, Jason taught on this not too long ago, how man has this, this testimony of God's Word. I mean, a testimony of creation, the trees and, and the stars and the planets and the sun. All these things, we have the testimony of that, but that's only enough to leave man what? Inexcusable. It's only enough to condemn a man. It's not enough to save a man. We need particular revelation. We need to know who Jesus is. We need to know about His work, right? We need particular things we need to know which the light of nature cannot reveal. This is what it says. Yet, they are not sufficient to give that knowledge of God and His will which is necessary unto salvation. Right? This is why when you say, you're talking to your friend and you say, he goes, what are you doing tomorrow? And he says, I'm going to church. And he goes, oh, you know, I'm going to go to church too. I spend church out on the boat at the lake. Right? You've, you've heard that kind of thing? That's why that's insufficient. Right? Because his, the, his, his church, nature, his church is only enough to condemn him. It's not enough to save him. Right? It's the, it, it, we have to have God's word revealed, explained. And we're going to go on and see how that works out. But we have to understand. So the Holy Scriptures, again, the only sufficient, certain, infallible rule for saving knowledge faith, and obedience. Now, we're halfway through the paragraph. Look what it says. Therefore, since general revelation is enough to condemn the world but not to save it, God acted. Therefore, it pleased the Lord. Look what He did at various times, sundry times, diverse manners. The Hebrews 1 the first three verses would, would be the place to go for this particular text to see it unfold. But in diverse, at sundry times, in diverse manners, he revealed himself and declared his will unto the church. 
and afterward for the better preserving and propagating of the truth and for more sure establishment and comfort of the church against the corruption of the flesh and the malice of Satan and the world to commit the same unto holy writing. What's he saying there? What he's saying is, I know I read it fast. What is he saying? What is he saying that in the Old Testament, right, we saw that he spoke to prophets in various times and various ways. Lots of different ways that God made himself known to man, right? But what has he done in a more sure and more perfect way for us, right? So that, and look what it says in particular, um, against the corruption of the flesh and the malice of Satan in the world. In essence, um, it says for a better preserving and propagating. What is man, because of the noetic effects of the fall, the, the, the effects of the fall on man's mind, he is, he is prone to what? Forget. He's prone to misinterpret. He's prone to do a lot of things, right? God, because of the, the, these, these maladies that, that, are, that are ours, um, He has chosen in these last times, in the revealing of His Son, to, to write it all down, is what He says. To commit it the same, holy unto writing which makes the Scriptures most necessary. Right? If, um, and it says those former ways of God are revealing to His people now being ceased. God is no longer speaking uh, by the prophets or to the prophets, you know, in various ways, right? He's not speaking through donkeys, right? We don't have angels coming down and, and giving the, the, the Ten Commandments. I mean, you know, we don't have these kind of things anymore. What do we have? The Scripture, right? We have it written. It is sure. Peter makes this point, right? Um, we have a more sure and more perfect Word. Um, Hebrews 1 says that though He did used to speak to the prophets in various ways, in various times, He has now spoken to us in His Son, Right? And He has taken this, this revelation and He has given it to us in writing so that it can be better maintained and better understood. Right? Isn't that what this, the text is communicating here? So this speaks to the indispensability or the necessity of the Scriptures. Why are they indispensable? Because in them we learn of Christ. And then we learn who God is, what He expects of His people, what He has done. We find not only who He is, we find what is, it, what is required of us to believe, right? And then what we are supposed to do because we believe, right? Knowing, believing, doing. That makes the Scripture indispensable. Make sense? Questions? Chapter 2 and chapter 3, or paragraph 2 and 3, we're going to go really, really fast because I don't think we'll have to talk much about them. Yes? Philip, you may have said this, but I think the biggest issue for most evangelical Christians in in, uh, the United States is is the the question of the sufficiency of Scripture. We're not there yet. Okay. That's another paragraph, Jason. Sorry. Sorry. Did you not read ahead? <laughs> That's another paragraph. We're going to get there. We're unpacking one chapter at a time. One person. Okay. Chapter paragraph two. Under the name the Holy Scriptures or the Word of God written, we are contained are now contained all the books of the Old and New Testament, which are. I'm not going to read them. There's 39 in the old, there's 27 in the new. We know what they are. We have a Bible in front of you, correct? All of which are given by the inspiration of God to be the rule of faith and life. 
Now, just so you get a little history, you know, you know why a, a, a verse like that, we might say, why would, you, why would you have to say something like that? Well, keep in mind that this thing wasn't written in a vacuum, right? Um, this, this book was written by men who were struggling against real theological error, real issues. And at the time, one of the particular things that they were battling was Rome, Roman Catholicism. And if you go read Rome, Rome, I'm going to say Rome a lot if I'm talking about it. So the Catholic, if you go read the Roman Catholic Bible today, they have a lot of books and the Apocrypha, which is going to be the next chapter. They have a lot of things added to their Bible that we do not. Okay? And so they're battling a, a real issue when they make these statements. When they think them out and write them out, they are actually coming across real issues in the church at the time. We might, because we live in a vacuum a little bit ourselves, think that that's not a problem today. It is ultimately a problem today. Adding to or taking away from the Scriptures is something that every cult does. Those people who knock on your door with the suits and the ties, right? they are really no different than in a real situation. They add to or take away from the Scriptures. And that's why they go so far afield. This is not... Um, so this isn't something to just be taken lightly and, and assume, well, that was for a different time. That's anachronistic, right? It's for a different time. No, no. It means something today for us. That these are the inspired books. The 39 in the Old and the 27 in the New. Does it mean that the Apocrypha, which is what we're going to go to next in chapter 3, let's just read it. The books commonly called, this is paragraph 3, the Apocrypha, not being of divine inspiration, are no part of the canon or rule of the Scripture, and therefore are of no authority to the church of God, nor to be otherwise approved by or made use of than any other human writings. So, are we saying that the particular books in the Apocrypha can't be helpful? No, we're not saying that. We're just like um, any commentary you pick up, or any other book that you might read that would have helpful things in it. Some of the books, some of the 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 apocryphal books could be helpful, right, in that sense, but only in that sense. Only as far as any other non-inspired book can be helpful, they could be helpful, right? So we're not saying that there's no... The Maccabees, are, are, there's a lot of Jewish history there that if you're studying could be, could be quite helpful. Um, there are some that are flat-out um, Gnostic and heretical and make claims about Jesus that are blasphemous. So not all of them are, or they're not all equal in that sense either, right? Some of the books in the Apocrypha could be helpful in some ways, and some of them would only be detrimental, ultimately, if you're not careful. So we're not giving any kind of equal claim to them. All we are saying, and all that all the, the, the confession is saying, is that they ultimately are not inspired of God and should be made use of like you would any other book that's not inspired by God. Clear? Make sense? Paragraph 4. Moving right along. This one, if the first one was the necessity or the indispensability of Scripture, paragraph 4 is the authority. Here's the authority of Scripture. It says it right in the first sentence, right? The authority of the Holy Scriptures for which it ought to be believed dependeth not on the testimony of any man or church, but wholly upon God, who is truth itself, the author thereof. Therefore, it is to be received because it is the Word of God. Again, not written in a vacuum. What are these, what are these men ultimately um, coming up against in their time? 
a pope, and a church who claims authority, right? um, And even the church, by the way, the Catholic Church hasn't moved on this today, ultimately. How can the Scriptures be known? Only through the church. Because who's the ultimate um, interpreter, the definer of, of what the Bible says? Who gives the Scripture authority according to Rome? They do. The church does. What is this statement saying? That no man nor church gives authority to the Scriptures, right? They are the, they are the authority. Why? What does it say? Because they are the Word of God. In fact, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And we will look at a couple of texts, but this is really important uh, as you, that you can see this. Again, you can also go to... Um, um, you know, Second Peter, talking about the more sure word and so forth. Um, one of the scriptures that you're going to see over and over and over again in this is Second um, Peter three. I mean, Second Timothy rather three. Um, that fifteen through seventeen text. I mean, that is especially on the scriptures here. That's a go-to. It has to be. But look what it says in Second um, Thessalonians two thirteen. Is it second or first? It's First Thessalonians. I wrote it down. And we also thank God constantly for this. That when you received, look what it says, the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work at you and you believe, right? He's saying, yes, we came. We came bearing the, the words. We came preaching them. But they're authoritative not because they came from me, Paul, Right? They're not authoritative because they came from the Apostle John, right? They're authoritative because they are the words of God, right? That's just what, this is what Paul's ultimately saying. Um, and this is what the confession is trying to be clear on here. No earthly advocacy is needed. Does it make sense what I'm saying? They're God's Word because they're God's Word. Whether I recognize them as such, whether you recognize them as such, whether you submit to them or not, means nothing in the sense that you have taken nothing away from them. They are God's Word. They are authoritative. And therefore, they are to be believed. Right? Now, he's in the very next text, he's going to talk to what it takes to ultimately believe. How is it that we can ultimately... How is it that I know that I know, right? He's going to talk about that here in a minute. But, um, but here specifically, we don't buttress or substantiate God's authority. You know, it's not God plus me, so therefore it's okay. God said it. It's true. That's what this paragraph 4 is saying. And therefore, you must believe it because it's God's Word. Not because the Pope says it's so. Not because Believer's Baptist Church or the Southern Baptist Convention or the Presbyterian Church USA or anybody else says it's so. Right? Well, if I came up here and said it was all a bunch of junk, that would change nothing. It is true. I am the liar. Right? And if you don't believe it, you are the one who is the liar. It doesn't need your approval. That's what chapter or paragraph 4 is saying. Let's look at paragraph 5. And this is how we know the authenticity of the Scriptures. Look at paragraph 5. 
we may be moved and induced by, he's going to give three, three things that ultimately communicate for us the authenticity of the scriptures, okay? So we know it's authoritative, but how do I know that it's authoritative, right? It is what it is, whether I approve it or not, but how is it that I can know that, that it is exactly what it says it is? That's what this uh, paragraph is addressing. Look what it says. We may be moved and induced what, by the testimony of the church of God, right? The fact that, uh, that for years, for centuries and centuries, right, God's people have held to it and believed it. Is that a reason? Sure. That's a good reason to believe. That's what he's saying. That's number one. A high and reverent esteem of the Holy Scriptures. Right? A testimony of the church of God to a high and reverent esteem of the Holy Scriptures. And, here's number two. The heavenliness of the matter, the efficacy of the doctrine, the majesty of the style, the consent of all the parts, the scope of the whole, which is to give all glory to God, the full discovery it makes of the only way of man's salvation, and many other incomparable excellencies and entire perfections thereof are arguments whereby it doth abundantly evidence itself to be the Word of God. That's a lot of words. Here's what he's saying. Because it's consistent, right? Because of its power, because it reads you when you read it, right? Because it is all of those things, right? Because when you read it, you recognize that it's not God's, it's not man's hand. You, you know it. The consistency over thousands of years as it was written, there's no way man did that, right? Those things testify to its truthfulness. The fact that prophecy, 700 years, that Isaiah 52 and 53 are fulfilled in Christ Jesus to the, you know, um, to the, to the exact, right? Do those testify to the fact? Absolutely. In fact, but is, is the testimony of the church over years or its consistency holy enough for us to believe? No. They won't fully persuade, will they? This is why many, many, there are many, many biblical scholars who would argue for the consistency and all those other things who aren't believers ultimately, are they? They can see the history of the church and they're still not believers, are they? So this is a third thing. A third thing that authenticates the scriptures for us. Look what it says. Yet notwithstanding, our full persuasion and assurance of the infallible truth and divine authority thereof is from the inward work of the Holy Spirit, bearing witness by and with the Word in our hearts. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. What's he saying here? What's he saying? He said, ultimately the reason that we know, ultimately the reason that you know, that you put your faith and your trust solely in this Word and, and trust it for all that it claims to be is because God, the Holy Spirit, the actual author of this book, right, has worked such a belief into your heart. This is why unbelievers can be scholars, right? And this is why believers aren't necessarily. Right? Look what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Look at verse 10. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. 
For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thought except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have not now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. How can we know? The Spirit of God alive in us, working faith, working belief, right? Working obedience. The very three three things we talked about. Why do we know? What do we believe? What do we do? All three of those things work by the Holy Spirit in us. That's what authenticates the, the power and nature of the Word. It's not what makes it authoritative. Our acceptance of it doesn't make it authoritative. Our, but the reason that we know it's true is because of the inward work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Paragraph 6. Sufficiency. This is what Jason was talking about, right? This is probably the most commonly attacked and, and, and not by not not directly, it's indirect. But what we do is because so many things are added anymore, and, and so many things are thought to be needed, right? That we have abandoned the, the scriptures uh, for the most part, not recognizing them as sufficient. We add to, we bring in, we incorporate things that we think will attract or or, or change or move the hearts of men, not recognizing that the scripture is sufficient to do that. So, let's read it. Paragraph 6. The whole counsel of God concerning all things necessary for His own glory, man's salvation, faith, and life is either expressly set down or necessarily contained in the Holy Scripture. Unto which nothing at any time is to be added, whether by new revelation of the Spirit or traditions of men. Let's stop there. Let's just talk about that for a second. What's he saying? By the way, the Scripture is only sufficient ultimately for all those who believe. Right? The sufficiency of Scripture to do what it is ultimately does doesn't actually do that in the unbeliever. The, what the, the sufficiency of Scripture is sufficient for those who have the inner work of the Spirit working in them. Just making that clear. But um, look what it says. Here's the scope. All things necessary for His glory, man's salvation, faith, and life is either expressly set down or necessarily contained, right? And, and here's what he means. Either is expressly said, it's said in a particular, clear, and, and direct way, or by normal inference can be understood. And, and let me just give you one example of that, right? When it says necessarily contained, what he's saying is by reading the Scripture, it, it, it should inform you thinking this way. It's actually in chapter 2. We're going to deal with this particularly, but the Trinity, right? We don't have a word, Trinity, in the Scripture. But if you read the Scripture, you read about the, the Father, the Son, the Spirit, the interworking, the necessity, their, their persons, right? All of these things, you will come to a Trinitarian understanding, right? We know that the Scripture teaches that. that this is an example of what it means by um, here when it says... Um, Necessarily contained. It means by a, you know <clears throat> normal function of means, reading and, and understanding. These are going to be brought out. But look what it says. Here's the mode: is either expressly set down or necessarily contained in the Holy Scripture. So we have the scope: all things necessary for God's glory, salvation, faith, and life. The mode set down in the Scriptures, and the implication is this: 
Nothing at any time is to be added, whether by new revelation of the Spirit or traditions of men. If all things that are needed are in the Scriptures, then what else is needed? Nothing. Right? Nothing. We're not to add. We're not to take away. Nothing else is needed. So look what it says. But, nevertheless, we acknowledge the inward illumination. This is a qualifier, right? We inward illumination of the Spirit of God to be necessary for saving understanding of such things as are revealed in the Word. Again, this is, some of these things overlap, but again, what is he saying here? Is, is, the, is the Scripture sufficient to communicate God's saving work and what is necessary for salvation? The answer is yes. Can reading it alone bring us to salvation? The answer is no. What do we need? But the application of the truth applied to our hearts by what? The inward working of the Holy Spirit, right? This is what he's saying. The things necessary for saving understanding require inward illumination. Like we just read in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Look what it says. And that there are some circumstances concerning the worship of God and government of the church common to human actions and societies which are to be ordered by the light of nature and Christian prudence. Now, we talked a minute about the insufficiency of, of nature to provide salvation knowledge, but that doesn't mean that it's not still needed, right? We look at um, creation and there are certain things it communicates to us. What is he saying here in the text, ultimately? There are some circumstances concerning the worship of God and the government of the church common to human actions and societies which are ordered by the light of nature. Here, let me give you an example. Um, why are we doing Sunday school now and not at 2 in the morning? Right? I mean, wouldn't common sense and the light of nature, in a real sense, communicate that it would be beneficial for us to do this service at 9 or 10 a.m. rather than 2 o'clock in the morning? You know, why do we have the lights on and not off? Right? There are certain things that... Um, in the common use of, of, of common sense, you know, um, that are, are helpful. But look what it says at the end, the last sentence, or last partial sentence. According to the general rules of the word, which are always to be observed. What's he saying here? He's saying that claims of illumination, common sense, whatever, do not override, if you will, the regulative principle. Right. God has told us to do certain things certain ways. Right. He has told us how to worship Him. And just because um, we think God has told us something different, right, or we think there is a more pragmatic way of doing it, does not allow us to override what God has commanded in His Word. Right? He's told us what to do. We do it. There are certain things that the Bible doesn't say and, and you're going to meet together for the singing and the preaching and the praying and the, and the, uh, of His Word. And you must do that on Tuesday afternoon at uh, 2. It doesn't say that, right? Certain things that we uh, get to figure out. But that doesn't mean that we get to override what God has done. Because He allows the light of nature and common sense to be used in the work of this. Does that make sense? And by the way, if you've got questions, stop. We'll, we'll talk. I, I'm, I'm moving on because I... Um, um, I, I don't want to. I don't want to be late. We have to end a little early. 
Look at chapter 7, paragraph 7. Here's the clarity or the perspicuity of Scripture. Right? Look what it says. All things in Scripture are not alike plain in themselves, nor alike clear unto all. Now that statement, <laughs> I think all of us would say a hearty amen to, right? Right. There are things that even uh, uh, an apostle like Peter would say, some of the things that Paul writes are hard to understand, right? So when he, when he says here, they, they, they give this qualifier right at the beginning. We're not saying that all things are equally easy. We're not saying that all things are equally clear. But, look what it says, yet those things which are necessary to be known believed and observed for salvation are so clearly propounded and opened in some place of Scripture or other that not only the learned but the unlearned in due use of ordinary means may attain to the sufficient understanding of them. What is he saying? He's saying that if, if you were to take, even though not all things are equally clear, what must be known to be saved... Right? Is clear. And it's clear enough. Right? It's clear enough that that the 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 six year old can read it and understand it. And the eighty six year old can read it and understand it, right? That the one who has no education and the one who is ultimately educated uh, and, and you know the high has obtained the highest of education, both can read and understand. It, it doesn't take a particular education level to understand the Scriptures by normal use, by normal means, right? What is necessary to be saved is clear throughout the Scripture. If you read it, take it for what it says, um, it is clear. Enough to be saved. This is what he's saying. Look what it says. Are so clearly propounded and opened in some place of Scripture or other that not only the learned, but the unlearned, in due use of the ordinary means, may attain to a sufficient understanding of them. Now again, it doesn't say that here in this paragraph. Again, the application of these truths, which can be clearly understood by children um, all the way up, must be applied by the Holy Spirit. It doesn't say that. We understand that, right? But what it is saying is that they can be known, right? The, the Scripture is clear, it doesn't have to. In fact, um, I heard a man say one time, a pastor, he was asked by someone, he says, so do you know Do you know everything in the Scriptures? And he says, no, I don't. He said, and she said, well, then why do you believe? He said, well, because the things I do believe, the things I do understand are scary, right? Because they, they tell me who God is and who I am. And I don't have to know, be able to understand all of it to know that God is holy and I am not, right? That is clear. And therefore, I must turn to the one who provides a holiness that I cannot. And that is clear. So look at paragraph 8. So here we got the transmission, if you will, of the Scriptures. Um, it says, The Old Testament in Hebrew, which was the native language of the people of God of old, and the New Testament in Greek, which at the time of writing of it, was most generally known to all the nations, being immediately inspired by God and by His singular care and providence 
kept pure in all ages are therefore authentic. You see what that's being said? God inspired the originals, the original copies, right? The originals. The ones in Greek, the ones in Hebrew. <laughs> and they've been kept pure by his singular care and providence. They've been kept pure in all ages and therefore authentic. So, look what it says here. This is um, uh, final authority. So as in all controversies of religion, the church is finally to appeal to them, right? <clears throat> so what do we do? If you were to say, I've got the, um, the NIV and it says blank. And you say, well, I've got the King James and it says, you know, ultimately they should be saying the same thing, right? But we, if in the context of our understanding what they say, there's a disagreement. Where are we to go? Let's go to the originals. Let's go to the Greek. Let's go to the Hebrew. What does it say? Right? There's where our authority lies. The King James Version is only authorized by King James. Right? It wasn't authorized by God. Not that there's anything wrong with it. That's not what we're saying. But you've heard... Have you ever listened to a King James only debate? It's unbelievable that they actually put so much authority on that word authorized at the beginning. Right? It's the authorized version. Okay. Authorized by who? Right? Um, <laughs> yeah, it's authorized. I mean, I could put that, you know, uh, at the front of whatever I write. It's authorized. Uh, but this is the point, right? Let's go back to the Greek. Let's go back to the Hebrew. It's going to give us, it's actually going to be the ultimate authority on any kind of division in this area, right? It says, all, all controversies of religion, the church is finally to appeal to them. But, but, right? Look what it says. Here's a need. It's not, there isn't, it, it, just because we have the Greek text and the Hebrew text, there is a need, right, for them to be in our languages, correct, right? But because of these original tongues are not known to all people of God, there's the need, <clears throat> who have a right unto and interest in the scriptures and are commanded in the fear of God to read and search them. There's our warrant, right? Since God has commanded people to read, commanded people to know, commanded them to, and, and makes them ultimately responsible for the life that He's given, if that's the case, He's given His word, He's going to hold you responsible for it, then need, men need to have it in a language they can understand, correct? Therefore, they are to be translated into the vulgar language of every nation into which they come. Vulgar just meaning common. If yours may say common, I don't know. I'm reading the old one. But the vulgar language is um, just a common language, right? Again, what are they battling in thought here but the Catholic view? What is their official language, right? In Roman Catholicism. Latin, right? They even I don't even know if they do masses in English. They, a lot of masses for years and years and years were done in Latin, right? We have the authority. We're the only ones who can understand it. We're the only ones who can know it, what it really means. And so you must come to us for your interpretation. I think it was I think it was Wycliffe or something was um, was being uh, he was writing and, and, and transmitting uh, you know translating into English and they were really the church had come against him really hard and at one point he said a common plowboy will know more about the scriptures if that, if God allows me to I think it was Wycliffe than the priest right because it'll be in a language in which he can read this is what he's saying here yes. What the, 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 the real authority is goes back to the originals, right? Uh, in, in Greek and in Hebrew, the original copies. But because man doesn't speak Greek, because we don't know Hebrew, because of those things, and we there's a warrant, right? The necessity, the responsibility to know who God is, that He's revealed in His Word. 
We must translate. We must, right? Look what it says in it. That the Word of God. Here's the purpose. That the Word of God dwelling plentifully in all they may worship Him in an acceptable manner and through patience and comfort of the spirits may have hope. Our final authority, originals, yes, but there is a need. We don't know the scriptures. There's a warrant. Man has a responsibility. The effect or the extent we must translate into languages people can understand. Why? So that people have hope and knowledge and understanding of God. This is what this is what this paragraph is telling us, right? Look at paragraph nine. I think we're actually going to get through this and get out. The infallible rule of interpretation of Scripture is the Scripture itself. We call this the analogy of Scripture. And therefore, when there's a question about the true and full sense of any Scripture, which is not many, but one, this is why this is why those Bible studies are so dangerous that you go to when they read a Scripture and they go, Mr. Alexander, tell me what that Scripture means to you. You know? Can't now you tell me what it means to you? Well, what if you had never been born, Miss Alexander? What about if Ken had died 30 years ago? What does the scripture mean, right? Without respect to you. Maybe many applications, but what does the scripture mean, right? There's not many interpretations, there's one. And when we don't know what that is, if there's confusion, if there's whatever, we don't get to make it up. We look at the totality of scripture's. Um, uh, communication on these particular topics, right? What it has to say about God, in particular in, in theology, what the theological claims it makes, and, and what it says, and we use the whole of Scripture to enlighten us on right, the, 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 that which might be unclear. So we take the clear and use it to interpret that which is less clear. Make sense? This is what he said so far. It must be searched by other places that speak more clearly. So, the only infallible rule, this is what he's saying, the only thing that can ultimately never fail in interpreting the Scripture is the Scripture. Right? Does that mean that Jason can get it wrong? Yeah. Does it mean that I can get it wrong? Yeah, probably do a lot. Does that mean that Duffy can get it wrong? Absolutely, we all do. Every single one of us can, will ultimately fail. And when we come with us answers, we try to give answers. We try to answer biblically. If you listen to the podcast, we try desperately to use the Scripture to steer our answers when, it, when we do that. But can we get them wrong? Yes. Will the Scripture get it wrong? The answer is no. Okay. Look at paragraph 10. The Supreme Judge... <clears throat> This is the supreme and final judge, right? The supreme judge by which all controversies of religion are to be determined and all decrees of councils, opinions of ancient writers, doctrines of men, and private spirits are to be examined and in whose sentence we are to rest can be no other than the Holy Scriptures delivered by the Spirit unto which the Scripture so delivered our faith is finally resolved. So, um, 
what do we use to determine the validity of um, Joel Osteen? The scriptures. What do we use to determine the validity of Jason? The scriptures, right? I mean, what do we use to determine whether um, the Presbyterian Church USA is making um, you know, the right moves in, within their organization? The scriptures, right? It is the ultimate authority. It is the ultimate judge. It, this is the really, and, and to think about the wisdom that God gave these men to sit down and write these things. If we were to write them out, we would probably miss many, many of these statements that are very short, very succinct, very simple. But, you know, man always looks for the loophole, right? This is why, this is why we're in the state we're in, right? Well, the scripture doesn't say, you know, that kind of thing, right? So, well, I, I can do this because, and, and we find we're always looking for the loophole. Um, and here, what we're saying is no, we, there is no loophole. The, the scripture tells us what we must do. It tells us how to do it. And um, for people to make claims, um, they don't get to make claims. And their, their claims are, are not substantiated because of a, a philosophy of pragmatism. Or, or something else, right? And when I say that, I, I have a certain thing in my mind going on when I read this. I think of the churches that we all have probably visited at some point in time or another, right? Where, where they, they take what they think will appeal to the world, right? Ultimately, they incorporate those things into the church because um, Scripture doesn't say I can't. That, that kind of thing. But we, if we go to the Scriptures and we let the Scriptures speak, we let uh, what uh, unfold for us, we know. The Scriptures communicate enough to let us know they're not helpful, right? I mean, if we were just to spend a few minutes looking at the necessity of the Holy Spirit's involvement in our hearts and lives for us to believe and know, like we have already done in 1 Corinthians, right? We're going to spend just a few minutes on the doctrine of the Holy Spirit and His necessity in our hearts to believe and know. We would throw pragmatism out the window because it ultimately serves and provides nothing. We speak the truth. The Holy Spirit works through that truth, applies it to the hearts of men. This is why we don't have to compromise, right? We can rest on the supreme authority and judgment of the Scriptures. Right? I mean, if you just think back, what we've said from the beginning, um, they are indispensable. They are, they have authority. Because of the Spirit's work, we know they're authentic, right? They're sufficient. Do you know that when we add all those other things, what we're really arguing, this was Jason's point earlier, what we're really arguing for is some, the Scriptures don't say enough. The scriptures are blank in this area, so I'll add something to it, right? Something that man needs. He doesn't need. But what man needs is preachers and teachers and churches that will just stand up and say, here's the Word of God. Here's what it says. It's incumbent upon you to believe. It's incumbent upon you to obey because God's Word is God's Word, whether you believe it or not. Right? That's what he's saying ultimately here. Right? Right? The supreme and final judge, is it you? 
You're not the one who gives God authority. You're not the one who gives the church authority. You're not the one who gives the Scripture authority. God does. Right? And when, when people ultimately say, well, I don't think or I don't believe, or you've all heard this, I know what the Scripture says, but... Right? What they're saying is, I actually am saying, I know the Scripture says this, but I have an authority that's above the Scripture. I'm subjecting it to my thinking. Right? I am judging whether it is right or wrong. And what we're saying is, no, it is always the Scripture who does that. Right? Do we believe that? All right, well, then let's pray.